Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christ Church of Orinoco. Our hope is that it would help you discover completeness in Jesus. Now for this week's teaching. Good morning, church. Let's open our Bibles to Luke chapter 2. If you're visiting Christ Church this morning, my name is Mark. I have the privilege of uh, being one of the ministers here at the church. We're glad you're with us this Christmas season and I uh, hope you enjoy your time of worship and, and feel welcome to participate however you choose to this morning. Uh, while you're being generous right now, I want you to know that your generous giving uh, is going to make a difference, as, as Adam just said, so far beyond this four-state area that we're grateful for what you're contributing and how God might use it. Uh, we have been in a lengthy series for those of you visiting with us this morning. We've been looking at the gospel of Jesus, the story of Jesus found in four books of the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we've put those together to the best of our ability in a chronological order, how it possibly occurred. And we've been studying through it that way. We're going to pause that study. We're going to stay in the gospels, but we're going to pause that study and rewind back to the beginning of the gospel story in a very timely message that we hope will help us as we wait on him. And uh, that's where we'll go today. Nancy Dugan uh, was born in South Africa, and she was born in a poor community, and she wrote a book about her story called A Need for Another Christmas, and she tells that when she was four years old, she was adopted by a couple in the United States that were Christians. She was brought to the U.S. She got to celebrate her very first Christmas, and she remembers that her adoptive parents were very specific in telling her why this celebration took place and what it had to do with Jesus. But she also remembers being overwhelmed at the number of gifts people gave her for no other reason but that they loved her. And she said she had great joy to receive her own toys and all of these special dresses and things that everyone wanted to give this four-year-old girl. She also remembers, and she records this in her book, that when she talked to her, her mother a few days after Christmas, her mom said to her, realizing what a big moment this was, so what did you think of Christmas? And her mother quotes her as a four-year-old saying these words, I sure... Sure hope Joseph and Mary have another baby. And I get it. That totally makes sense to me. And uh, it's appropriate for what we're going to talk about today. On our staff, one of the joys of being a part of this church, excuse me, is we have a number of young people that are very vibrant, active Christians who are serving on our ministry staff. And I feel very, very privileged to work with, with so many of these kind of people. But We've had an explosion of pregnancies on our staff in the last year, and for an old guy who's not going to have any more kids, it's a lot of fun to watch them and to hear their excitement and to ask great questions, I think. Like uh, Elijah Daly, who's one of our worship uh, ministers here, he and his wife Macy had their son Dawson last July. Uh, Adam, as he just shared, Adam and Sherry Everett just had their son Lincoln uh, about 10 days ago. And... uh, Chip, the big tall guy leading worship here, one of our new worship leaders, he and his wife, Raina, are having a baby any day. And if you see Raina, cute as can be, any day people, I'm telling you. If it doesn't happen today, I'll be surprised. And I'm encouraging them to have it quickly because you get that tax credit by the end of the year. So there's a plus there as well. Uh, also, Isaac and Maggie Shade, as Maggie announced last week, they're due uh, this spring. And then Tyler and Natalie Gleason are due uh, with their second child in a few months. So it's been very, very exciting. And being a guy who's not going to have any more children, uh, I have been, and like I ever had one, Heather's not going to have any more children. <laughs> and, and I'll be okay with that. And uh, what's fun for me is asking them the questions. So 
do you know what gender you're going to have? And then some, some want to know and some don't want to know. And I asked them, have you got the names yet? And they're like, well, if it's a girl, it's this. And if it's a boy, it's this. And I like to just find out why they've chosen the names they've chosen. And I really love it when I ask the question, you find out they don't agree. That's just so fun. And, uh, but it's like, have you got the nursery ready? And, and how's big brother and big sister dealing with all this? There's something fascinating about a life joining a family. And I just enjoy it. And Christmas is a celebration of God bringing a child to us because we know this, right? Our children are beautiful. Our children are fantastic. We're grateful to have them and incredibly inconvenient. Can I have an amen? (laughs) A baby being brought into your house is not an easy task. It inconveniences everything because they're the most selfish little people in the entire world (laughs) because they can't take care of themselves. It's up to us to do that. But we wouldn't trade that for the world, would we, church? As inconvenient as our children are, We love them nonetheless. In fact, we probably love them because they're inconvenient, because they need us and they want us and we want them. It's this connection. Christmas is a celebration of a child who came into our lives and Jesus is inconvenient because he is the most important thing in our world or he isn't. And if he is, the inconvenience is worth it. Church, can I have an amen? I'm going to beg this morning because first hour looked at me like a traffic accident, okay? So I'm going to beg today. See, what I want to talk to you about is what Adam mentioned a bit earlier. The anticipation of Jesus is important, but the implementation of Jesus is critical. It's not just having a child. You see, what's beautiful is when I'm asking all the questions before the children are born, you can see the parents look at each other and they're, they're nervous, but they're excited and they're anticipating all of this and they don't know all the answers yet, but they can't wait to see their child and hold their child and love their child, see which one it resembles. They have all this excitement and then the kid comes and I get to go visit in the hospital. I get to hold the baby and pray for the baby and I get all these great moments, but I know the minute we leave, the question is not what are you going to name it or what gender is it? The question is now what? Because that baby's coming home, and that baby needs care all the time. Yeah, the first diaper blowout's cute. The fifth one at 2.30 in the morning's annoying. Now what? How do you live with this child in your life? It changes the way you live, and it's so worth it. We're talking about the encounter today between Joseph and Mary and two old people. Don't be offended by that if you're one of those old people. Because actually, it's a very important part of the story that we mentioned, that Jesus gets to meet two old people, and what happens is a message for those of us living in the now what period of Christianity. While we wait on Jesus, now what? We know he's come here, and it's easy for us to look at one another and go, yeah, he was born over 2,000 years ago. Yeah, yeah, I got it, I got it, yay. But he's not here anymore. And while we wait for him to come back, now what? And this is what the text shows us takes place. In the context, in Leviticus chapter 12 in your Old Testament, there was a purification rite that a mother went through when she gave birth. She would go to the temple, there would be a purification rite with the priest, and she would be purified and restored back into the community. It had a lot to do with health and blood flow and everything else. But also, the first baby, the first son born, would be given back to God in a purification act. A sacrifice would be offered The baby would be given to God and a sacrifice would be offered to receive that firstborn back because the firstborn of all things belongs to the Lord, the first fruits. And so the context of today's story falls in line with Joseph and Mary honoring Leviticus chapter 12 and doing what God asked them to do to honor God for this moment. Let's begin in verse 21 of Luke chapter 2. 
On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise him, so they honored the eighth-day circumcision, and then on the 40th day, verse 22, when the time of their purification, according to the law of Moses, had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Verse 24. And to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now this moment had been talked about at least two different occasions in the Old Testament. I, I want to draw some comparisons, and I hope if you like history, you'll, you'll follow easily. If you don't, hang with me. There's a purpose for it. In the Old Testament, two prophets talked about this moment in time where what's taking place in front of these two old people in the temple was actually anticipated and has, uh, it's a matter of significance for you and I to understand. Let's go with to Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1. It says here, talking about the, the Messiah, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse, from his roots a branch will bear fruit. This is uncommon. Isaiah pictures that Israel was a massive tree. He uses this imagery all the time, vines and branches. Jesus would adopt that in John, in, later in John's gospel. We'll cover in a few uh, months where he talks about the vine and the branches. And, and Isaiah pictures that Israel was cut down like a tree that was fallen. And from the stump, a branch would form, unusually, a branch would form that would produce fruit. Jesus is that branch that came from a fallen Israel, the Jewish people. And he would come from that group, but separate of them. And he would be Jewish, yes, but he would come in such a way that it would be clear that God had acted. Then Amos chapter 9, verse 11. In that day, I will restore David's fallen tent. I will repair its broken places, restore its ruins, and build it as it used to be. So Amos says that what God's going to do is he's going to not... Take this from King David, powerful, mighty King David. He's actually going to go all the way back to David's beginning. Remember, David was a young shepherd boy who was out in the field. And the prophet Samuel came and said to Jesse, his father, one of your children, I believe, is the anointed one that's supposed to lead us into our future. And all the brothers were there. And the prophet went, no, 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 no. And he said, this is all of them? And Jesse said, no, my youngest son David's not here. And he said, bring him. And when David came... The prophet knew that David would be the king. And what Amos says is that God is not going to draw Jesus in the same way that David was was made this powerful king overruling Israel. What he said is, I'm going to go all the way back to David's beginnings. Notice this, a young shepherd boy who wasn't much to look at, wasn't even considered in the running. And from him, because the tent had fallen, I'm going to start over with the Messiah in the same way I started with David. So for a young shepherd, he would take a young lamb, and that lamb would become the sacrifice. It even says in our text that Joseph and Mary were poor. The tent had collapsed. They couldn't even afford to give the lamb that was required. So the minimum a couple in poverty could give were two doves. So Joseph and Mary started with nothing and yet gave everything to God. It's an important insight into who they were, that they were willing to give Jesus to him, understanding who he was and understanding that they had nothing more to offer than to trust God in this. And then they walk in the temple and they meet two old people. Let's begin with the first, Simeon. And what we can learn from Simeon is that he chose expectancy. Simeon chose to be expectant while waiting. Verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. Verse 26. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Messiah. 28. 
Simeon took Jesus in his arms and praised God. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. This is a powerful moment. Joseph and Mary walk in, this young poor couple. They have their two doves to sacrifice. Simeon comes, understanding it's a moment for the purification ritual. He takes the child from Mary, and his heart, his spirit, his soul tells him, this is the one you've waited for. How many children had this priest held in his service? And yet he holds this child, and he knows instantly, this is the one they told me was coming. He knew, I don't know how he knew, But God had told him, I will not let you die until you've seen the Messiah. What did that mean? Seeing the Messiah come in on a donkey and conquer Jerusalem and take it over? Or this little bald, wrinkly thing? This little toddler coming in, this newborn, and he grabs the baby and instantly his heart tells him. He's moved. It reminds you of when Mary found out she was pregnant. She went to visit her cousin Elizabeth. And when she walked in the presence of Elizabeth, who got pregnant in her old age, Mary was young, Elizabeth wasn't. And it says that Elizabeth's baby jumped for joy when Mary walked in. And Elizabeth knew that child is the Messiah. In the same way, Simeon knows. But Elizabeth could get excited by a virgin birth. Simeon, this is the best thing for me. Simeon got excited in the everyday mundane behaviors of a priest. Every day would have been the same for him. There wasn't a lot of variety. He served every single day. And every single day he awakened wondering, is this the day, is today the day that God keeps his promise? Is today the day that God says, or does what he says and fulfills what he said he would give us? Is today the day I get to see the Messiah? Whether it's an adult form or child's form, but he holds this baby and he thinks, oh my goodness, this is it. And then he says, I can die now. I can die now because I've seen the promise. God has been faithful to do what he said he would do. What a statement of faith. Day after day, listen to me. Waiting and waiting and waiting on God causes so many of us to become distracted. So many of us to lose our expectancy. It's been 2,000 years since Jesus left. Preacher, you want me to start living as if he's coming back? And the answer is yes, just like Simeon did. Because it's not always going to be exciting. It's not always going to be, there are no angels exploding in the sky for Simeon going, this is the child. And the shepherds were like, I got it. The wise men had a star. But Simeon, day after day after day, lived with a level of expectancy. Instead of wondering, is he ever coming? Simeon said, is today the day he's coming? You see, we can get excited about Jesus was born 2,000 years ago. But you remember, don't you, that he also promised that the one who was born on Christmas would come back as king, as mighty warrior. He would come back on a white horse. You see, he goes into the city on the triumphal entry on a donkey. There's nothing exciting about a soldier on a donkey. But it says when he comes back the next time, he'll be a mighty warrior with the sword. And he'll come on a white charger and he'll come in the city and it'll be his. And he will take it because it's rightfully his. And now you have this moment, this tiny little child, and we say, yay, the baby was born. But are you awaiting his return? Because the same baby that was promised is also the baby promised to return. And when he comes, will you be ready? 
like Simeon was, even if the waiting happens in the mundane. You see, there are things that you can live in expectancy. Yes, you can have an expectancy in your commute. You can have expectancy in packing your lunch for the next day and cutting your lawn and wrapping Christmas presents and having a phone call with your parents. You can have the mundane may seem to us like it distracts us from his coming, but it can be a moment like Simeon displayed where each and every day is an opportunity to notice the work of God and trust it. Do we believe in his second coming as much as we celebrate his first coming? You see, in the mundane, it's really easy to get excited about Jesus coming. It's more exciting to implement his second coming each and every day of our lives. And then he takes the baby, and this is interesting to me. It may not be interesting to you, but have you ever been told something's coming? And I want to like give you the three dimensions of it. Have you ever been told that discipline's coming? Wait till your father gets home. You had that moment? Did that change your day? Oh, yeah. I would clean my bedroom. I'd clean my brother's bedroom. I would clean the car. I would go for a long, long walk. Because mom would say, I've called your father, and he wants to talk to you when he gets home. And then you have those moments, like I had a roommate I pulled a dirty trick on, and he looked at me, and he horrified me, because he said, I won't tell you when, but one night, I'm going to come into your room, and I'm going to pour a bucket of water on you while you sleep. And I'm not lying to you. I slept differently from that moment on, because I knew what was coming. Then recently, I got a phone call. Are you at your, or I got a text message, are you at your office? And I said, yeah. I said, I'm going to come by and drop something off for you. And I knew this was good because every time this lady says that to me, it's cookies. <laughs> and so every time I heard the doors of the church open, I thought, is it now? <laughs> you see, when you live in anticipation, it changes your demeanor. You're like, is it cookies? Is it a beating? Is it a bucket of water at 2 a.m.? It changes the way you live when you really believe something is going to happen. And that's exactly how Simeon lived. He was expected. And then he's handed the child by Mary. And in verse 34, he said, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. That's not what you want to hear. When Heather and I get to go to the hospital and visit babies born in our church, love it. It's a privilege. And they hand you the tiny little child and you put the scrub on your hands to make sure you're not carrying anything for the child to be made sick by and you hold the child and they're all beautiful. Ask any mother in the room, they're all beautiful. Some may disagree, but they're all beautiful. You hold the child and you think it's perfect, it's beautiful, it's a gift from God, it's that the image of God in it. It is exactly what God wants to do. It's a wonderful moment to be prayer over that. But I've never, ever taken a child from their parents in a hospital room and said, this child, this child will make someone's life and it will break someone's life. This child will challenge every person to trust it or every person to reject it. And I've never looked at the mother and said, and this child will break your heart. Now, we all know as parents, our children will break our hearts. But when When Simeon held this baby and he looked at Mary and he said, he will break your heart. Flash forward to that moment that her son is on the cross dying for the world and Jesus says to John, John, she is now your mother and Mary, he is now your son. And they both agreed. And at that moment, Mary's heart had to be shattered because Jesus was giving away his relationship with her to give a relationship to you and me. And Simeon says, this child's a world changer. 
He had waited his entire lifetime to see the Messiah. And in that moment, he prophesied and everything he said came true because the word of God is true. Even in the waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. I won't take the time to do it this morning, but I will tell you this. If you spend any time in your Bible, you'll understand that the the Bible is full of stories of the people whose stories you know, Adam and Eve, Moses, Abraham, David, Joseph, Paul, Peter. Waiting was hard because it takes perseverance to wait. God doesn't call us to endure. You can endure a lot of things by just toughening up. But perseverance is enduring with a purpose. Perseverance is enduring with a purpose that I believe that even in the waiting, God is faithful. Even in the waiting, God is true. And even in the waiting, Jesus will return. Simeon believed it and he lived his whole life for it. In fact, it was so beautiful that when he finally held the baby, he said to God, I can die now. My purpose is fulfilled. Let's jump down to the story of Anna, the other old person in the room. And the reason age matters is because they lived normal lives doing normal things every single day and never lost their hope. Anna chose committed service. Verse 36. And there was a prophetess, Anna. She was advanced in years and had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage. And then as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple serving night and day with fasting and prayers. At that very moment, she came up the moment that Mary gave the baby to Simeon, at that very moment she came up and began giving thanks to God and continued to speak of him to all those who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. You see, Anna's story is interesting, but I need to tell you another story to understand the beauty of Anna's story. Anna is the Hellenized form, the Greek form of the name Hannah. H-A-N-N-A-H. Does that recall an Old Testament story for any of you, the story of Hannah in the Old Testament about a woman who wanted to have a child and she couldn't have a child and she prayed to God and she said, if you give me a child, I will dedicate him to your service in the temple. And she had a son and she did that. She named him Samuel. Samuel became the great Old Testament prophet. Isn't it interesting? Now notice the comparison. You have the story of Hannah in the Old Testament about a woman who prayed to have a son and she had a son and she gave him to God. She dedicated him to God and he became the great prophet in the Old Testament. It's a beautiful story. And now you have another woman named Hannah, but instead of her giving her son, here's a woman who lost her husband after seven years of marriage. And I I keep repeating this, but you need to understand context. When a woman lost her husband, she lost her life support. She could not make a living on her own without prostituting herself or begging. And she decided instead of hating God because she lost her husband, she loved God and trusted God and entered into more committed service to him for the rest of her days. We don't know how old she was when she was married, but she's only married seven years. She probably served 50 or 60 years in this capacity. And isn't it funny that the first Hannah gave her son to the temple, the second Hannah saw another woman give her son to the temple. Hannah witnessed Mary giving her firstborn to God, dedicated to him, realizing he would be the ultimate sacrifice. I love when God weaves the story so tightly as this one. And there she was. Did she know that Simeon would see the baby before he died? Did she know that? I don't know, but she sees Simeon prophesy. She's waited expectantly and dedicated herself to this, and she sees this great prophetic moment, and she rushes in and begins to thank God. She doesn't blame God. She's not angry at God. And in the mundane, it never took her hope. She never became so distracted by waiting and waiting and waiting that she thought, ah, 
Maybe I'm waiting for something that'll never happen. She waited and waited well. She waited with commitment. She waited with dedication. And in the mundane, everyday actions of life, she waited well, and she got one of the blessings of lifetime. And then this happens. Then the two old people die. Long before Jesus is ever taken the role of Messiah. We know that there's 30 silent years in Jesus' life, and sometime in that period, both of these people died. Were they disappointed? Or did they not, in the mundane, everyday activities, receive enough of God's faithfulness to trust him even if they didn't see it all? That's really not the question I want to ask. The question I want to ask of you is, can you celebrate what God's already proven in his faithfulness, even if he doesn't reveal it all? Can you wait on the Lord, second return, even though the waiting sometimes seems boring and the days seem long and the tasks seem so mundane? Can you continue to worship and love and honor? Can you continue to go to work and serve your work as unto the Lord? Can you serve your homes as unto the Lord? Can you serve your friendships as unto the Lord? Can we see what Hannah and Simeon saw? That trusting God, even when we only get the briefest of taste of his faithfulness, is enough to keep us hungry for the rest of our lives. And they died. And their promise in God was never in doubt. The Old Testament told them it would come. You see, the anticipation of Jesus is not as critical as the implementation of Jesus. So now what? Now that the baby's born, the baby requires work requires effort. And most of the effort of child raising is not exciting. Oh, it's great if they score the winning goal in a soccer game or win the spelling bee or make the honors list or sing a solo or learn to play an instrument or, I don't know, buy you a lottery ticket for Christmas and make you a millionaire. Those are great moments. <laughs> but what about the runny noses and the whiny, overtired kids and the child who doesn't want to eat what you made? And the shuttle service that no one told me about where I would become the chauffeur to a 14-year-old. I will celebrate when he's 16 and I will celebrate on this stage. And my chauffeur days will be over. But the mundane, everyday, in and out, plans change, attitudes change, all of this changes. It's in those days that we are most faithful to our call. It's in those days that the return of Jesus matters the most. It's in those days that we prove faithful or we prove faithless. And I am thankful that in this story is recorded two people who lived long lives, who trusted God even when it wasn't exciting. No angels exploding in the the heavens, no miracles before their eyes, just simple faith. They stayed faithful in the waiting. And it reveals the heart of God. God entrusted this to a poor girl and a poor man. He entrusted this child to a poor priest and a poor widow. They didn't have a fancy pedigree. They weren't theologians. They were simply people that chose each and every day of their lives to trust God, await his promises being fulfilled because he had given them a reason to await. They didn't get to see the cross. They didn't get to see the resurrection. Church, we have. We have a reason to stay faithful, even in the boring moments of following Jesus. That child came one time and we celebrate it. But we should also live every day anticipating that we have been made a promise. He is coming back. And each and every day is a testimony to that. Peter says in 1 Peter 
Set your hope fully on the grace that is coming to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's a promise. Set your hope on that every day in the washing of the dishes, in the shuffling your kids around town, in the going to the dentist and going to work and having the same conversation with the same coworker you have every day. In those meaningless activities, find meaning, find purpose, find worship. Here's what I'd like to give your heads, your hands, and your hearts. For your head, create sacred time every day to think about the promises, to think about the warnings, and to think about the character of God. Create a slice of your day where you do nothing but ponder the good word of the scriptures and remember what he's already done. Remember the promises he made to you, Simeon, that you would see the glory of God in your lifetime and await that moment. Look for it every day. Don't be caught off guard when it happens. To your hands, bless somebody with the hope that you possess. In some viable action, do something for somebody today that makes them wonder, why would you do that for me? And your answer is, because I believe in the promises of God that if I love you and introduce you to my Jesus, you will know what I know and you will have what I have. And for your heart, live live each day in a joyful anticipation, even in the boring. Take every activity you have every day, the ones you hate, filling out your expense forms, balancing your checkbook, grocery shopping, cleaning the bathroom, making the bed. And each one of those moments, remind yourself of this old couple who waited and waited and waited well and found life and hope and a savior because you can find it there too. Around this room are four tables with lamps lit on those and our elders and staff will be heading those tables and They'll be there to pray with you this morning. If you want someone to pray with you, and here's the prayer we want to offer you today. If you'd like someone to pray with you that that God would keep your expectancy, that he would awaken your mind in the mundane to his presence, that he can be there even when it seems boring and uneventful, God is in all of it. And you just need someone to pray for you or for someone you love who needs to know that that is true, then while we sing, go to the tables They'd love to pray with you and pray over you and continue to walk with you in prayer for these needs. You may just stand there, not say a word, we'll pray. But this morning as we worship, let's remember, God has given us a taste through Jesus Christ of his first coming. Oh, what a glorious day it'll be when his second coming happens and we were ready. Let's stand together. Thanks again for checking out this podcast. We hope this teaching helped you to discover completeness in Jesus and encourages you to help others do the same. For more resources or to learn about Christ Church in general, visit us online at cco.church.